This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Idea City Podcast. For more information or to watch talks online, go to ideacity.ca or check out the Idea City channel on YouTube. Welcome to Idea City on the Air. By the end of the next half hour, you'll be inspired and enlightened by the world's biggest ideas, innovations, and breakthroughs as you hear about them in talks from the planet's smartest people. Moses Neimer's three-day annual Idea City conference in Toronto has been called Canada's premier meeting of the minds, and we're glad to have your mind with us. In this episode of Idea City on the Air, Peter Nowak speaks about a technological utopia, and Nicholas Carr speaks about culture and technology. Now, let's join Moses as he introduces Peter to the stage. You ain't seen nothing yet because our next speaker is going to talk about all the wonders that lie ahead, Peter Nowak. Hey, Peter. Good to meet you. Thank you. All right. Hi, everybody. Are we ready to take a trip to Utopia? Okay, good. We, uh, we have to take a quick pit stop first, though. Um, last month, the FBI um, accused a man of hacking into a plane's control systems via its entertainment system. The thought that somebody could take control of an airplane uh, conjures up all kinds of terrifying possibilities. The idea also strikes at the core of this ill ease that we have with technology today. It seems like we're just a hair's breadth away uh, from utter disaster. But here's the thing. The uh, number of plane crashes has been declining steadily for decades. And the main reason for that is because of all that technology in the planes. So this is why uh, planes are flying longer, further, and ultimately safer. So that catastrophic hack, it hasn't happened yet. And whether you believe it will or not depends largely on whether you are a pessimist or an optimist. And this is what I want to talk about today, is I think we are actually being conditioned to be pessimists. Now, that's not a conspiracy theory. I think it's just a byproduct of uh, how technology is developing, and specifically how technology is causing the media to develop. Its main purpose is to tell us about what's going wrong. So the news media is there to tell us about the facts, hopefully, about what's going wrong. Uh, social media is there to tell us how people are feeling about what's going wrong. And popular entertainment is there to suggest things that could go wrong in the future. <laughs> So I think when you put all these things together, uh, it's like we're drinking from a fire hose daily of what's going wrong with the world. Now, conversely, we don't have a lot of people or a lot of sources telling us about what's going right. That's a problem because it can, that actually affects our brain. It affects the way we think and it affects the way we view the world. 
In a technological context, what it means is that we tend to focus more on the side effects of technology as opposed to the effects. We pay more attention to the potential hacking of the plane, the side effect, than we do to the declining number of crashes, which is the effect. And there's a great example of this is, is climate change, as a matter of fact. Uh, climate change is the biggest side effect of technological advance that there is, and it's a potentially catastrophic side effect. Yet, fewer and fewer people every year care about it. And there's an element of fatigue at play here. Uh, people are just tired of hearing the horror stories about the polar ice caps melting. Uh, but there's more to it as well. Psychologists and economists agree that if you really want people to care about something, you have to give them positive incentives to do so, as opposed to trying to scare them into it with horror stories. So what we don't see enough of in when it comes to climate change are the stories of people who are uh, perhaps saving money by converting their cars and their homes to green alternatives, or uh, who are losing weight uh, and feeling better about themselves by, con uh, by switching to plant-based diets. One of the, uh, the big negative stories that we hear a lot about today are robots taking our jobs. And not a day goes by when we don't hear about uh, you know, some new profession being performed by robots, whether it's robot doctors or lawyers or bartenders or firefighters or writers or speech givers and so on and so on. Uh, and the reason we see so many of these stories is because they're very easy uh, to tell, they're very easy to relate to because they're in front of us and they're concrete. You can look at a robot that's mixing drinks and say, hey bartenders, you guys, are, you guys have some problems here. Uh, the inverse of that or the, the reverse of that, uh, we don't see a lot of because it's harder to tell. Those stories require imagination. Uh, the stories about what are these robots going to enable us to do in the future. Um, I spoke to an artist last year uh, in Los Angeles, his name is Matthias Dorfelt, and what he does is he's creating human robot art. He has these robots, uh, they look a little bit like Roomba vacuum cleaners, and he programs them with his own drawing style, and then he unleashes them to create what they will, and what they come up with he calls meta-creations. So he said, I think more about the idea of the composition than an explicit composition that is static or fixed. I'm still very actively involved in that process, and that's true for all artists. And then the key point, it changes the level at which creativity is applied. And I think that people who are worried that robots are going to take all of our jobs or that the internet's going to take all of our jobs, uh, or even that the internet is going to cause us to think at a more shallow level, I think it's actually the opposite of that. Um, as our friend Dorfelt, the artist, said, uh, technology changes the level at which creativity is applied. It raises the level at which creativity is applied. Coming up after the break. The good news is there is good news. Here's just a smattering of some of the positive developments that are going on in the world. Now, technology isn't directly responsible for all of these, but it's definitely contributing to many of them. This episode of Idea City on the Air is brought to you by Zoomer Magazine. We'll be back in a moment with more from Peter Nowak. For more information about Idea City or to watch hundreds of talks online, go to ideacity.ca. Welcome back to Idea City on the Air. You're listening to Peter Nowak speak about a technological utopia. 
I have to admit to robots sparking my own imagination. Uh, my wife likes to tell me that I make the world's best pierogies. And uh, at the risk of sounding immodest, I'm not going to disagree. My pierogies really are amazing. Uh, I've actually fantasized uh, numerous times about opening my own restaurant. But the problem is, I don't know if anybody's ever tried to make pierogies from scratch, but they're extremely labor intensive. And so I've often thought, if only I could create a robot that would do the filling and the folding for me, only then would I actually think about doing a restaurant. So these are all examples, I think, of the stories, more of the stories that we need to tell in order to uh, focus on what our goals are going to be in the future. Now, this is all not to say that we don't need that fire hose of what's going wrong with the world. I think that's still very important. It's absolutely important because we still do need to identify the problems in the world so that we can uh, talk about them and, and, and resolve them. Uh, but at the same time, I think we do need to be cognizant of mean world syndrome and um, that it is real. And I think we need to consciously work to counter it. And the best way to do this is by uh, consciously seeking out positive news and more importantly, sharing it um, and if you're the type of person that gets affirmation from Facebook likes or retweets on Twitter, the good news is, is that many studies have shown that if you share something positive, that's more likely to get passed around than something that is negative. And if you don't believe me on that, I challenge you to go home and put up a cute cat video on Facebook <laughs> and see how many likes you get. <laughs> Um, the other part of this too is the good news is there is good news. Uh, you just have to look for it. Um, here's just a smattering of some of the positive developments that are going on in the world. Now technology isn't directly responsible for all of these, but it's definitely contributing to many of them. Uh, whether it's increasing life expectancy or uh, you know, declining hunger, we are actually living at, at the best of times. This is the best the world has ever been in by many measures. Um, and that's not to short shrift some of the problems that we have. But one of the best developments that I think we've seen over the last, uh, particularly the last century, is our relationships are becoming more complex. And that's great because more complexity means you, the partners in the relationship, need each other more. And when you need each other more, you are more likely to help each other as opposed to uh, fight and steal from each other. And uh, that's good. There are many examples to the contrary, obviously, but I think on a fundamental level, more and more of us are realizing this. And I, I think what we're realizing is, is that for there to be winners, there don't necessarily have to be losers. Um, so I guess that's the effect. That's the effect of all of this dramatic change in technology. Uh, mean world syndrome and that fire hose is the side effect. And I, I do realize that it's ironic that I just spent the whole time telling you about the side effect when I said that we need to pay less attention to the side effect. But I'm just doing my job as somebody in the media. <laughs> so I guess the last thing I'll say is uh, one of the other big counters to mean world syndrome, I think that's very important, is for us to disconnect. Uh, to get off the internet, to get off our TV screens, to get off our phones as much as possible um, because it is a great world out there and it's getting better all the time, but how mean it is depends entirely on our perspective and we're more likely to see it as mean if we're only looking at it through screens rather than with our own eyes. Thanks everybody, that's everything I got. Well done. Coming up after the break. So we have this instinct to want to know everything that's going on around us, and then we've created 
an environment in which there's no end. And what we begin to see is this compulsive kind of behavior. This episode of Idea City on the Air is brought to you by Zoomer Magazine. We'll be back in a moment with more from Nicholas Carr. Idea City is a program of talks about the world's biggest ideas, featuring the world's smartest people. For more information about the three-day Idea City live conference or to watch hundreds of talks online, go to ideacity.ca. Welcome back to Idea City on the Air. Now, let's join Moses as he introduces Nicholas to the stage. Okay, so life is worth living and the glass is half full. But Bertolt Brecht said, the man who is laughing has not yet heard the bad news. Nicholas Carr. We humans crave information. We crave it the way we crave sex, way down deep in our synapses, deep in our neurons. There have been studies that show that whenever we find a new piece of information, a little bit of dopamine is released in our brain. And as you probably know, dopamine uh, is a pleasure-producing chemical, neurotransmitter, very, very important to brain function, but also implicated in pretty much all kinds of addictions. So we have these very deep instincts uh, to go out and gather as much information as possible. And for most of human history, that was fine. In fact, uh, you know, the reason they call them survival instincts uh, is they add to our odds of survival. But think about what we've done in recent years. We've created, essentially, this new environment in which we live more and more, a digital environment that we enter through our smartphones, that we enter through our computers, our tablets, uh, that's all wrapped up with social media and the internet. Uh, We've created an environment of unlimited information. So we have this instinct, this very primitive instinct, to want to know everything that's going on around us, and then we've created an environment in which there's no end to new information that's out there. And what we begin to see very, very quickly is this compulsive kind of behavior. You've probably seen that kind of compulsive behavior in yourselves. Uh, Pulling out your phone, even when nothing's going on and there's not even any particular reason to do it, you'll pull it out just to see, you know, who knows, maybe there's something going on. And certainly if there's any indication uh, that you've got a new message or a new notification, well, you'll, you'll pull out your phone. It doesn't matter how much information or even how good the information is on the web page. Clearly, what you want to do is grab the gist of what's on the page, then find a link and click and go somewhere else so you can get some new information. If you look at studies of teenagers uh, in their phones and texting, you find that the average teenager sends or receives about 3,300 texts a month these days. For teenage girls, it's actually over 4,000 texts a month. And that breaks down to one text about every six minutes throughout your entire waking life. And if you think adults show any more restraint around their gadgets, well, forget it, because the latest uh, studies of how often an adult will pull out his or her smartphone and look at it during the course of the day, it's about 160 times. 
uh, which works out to about once every six minutes during your waking life. You might say, well, we're just adapting to a new technology. Uh, we've had new technologies, new information technologies, new media technologies for hundreds of years now. Every time one comes along, we adapt our way of thinking to suit the technology. And so we're becoming, maybe it's good to be scatterbrained. Maybe it's good to be distracted all the time and interrupted all the time. And we're optimizing our mind to live in this new environment. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think we are very good at adapting. We have flexible, uh, malleable minds. But we need to look at the downsides. Because even if we adapt, that doesn't mean that we end up better people or better thinkers after that process of adaptation. Coming up after the break. We're sacrificing our ability to determine for ourselves what our minds focus on, what we pay attention to. We're ceding that incredibly important function to the technology itself. You're listening to Idea City on the Air, brought to you by Zoomer Magazine. We'll be back in a moment with more from Nicholas Carr. Get the latest idealist news, presenter information, and watch hundreds of talks at ideacity.ca. Welcome back to Idea City on the Air. We now conclude Nicholas Carr's talk on culture and technology. There was a very important study done a few years ago at Stanford in California where the researchers gathered two groups of people. One people who spent a lot of time online, a lot of time multitasking, uh, glancing from one message to another. They called these the heavy multitaskers. And another group of people that did much less of that, which they called the light multitaskers. They gave these two groups of people six standard basic tests of cognitive function. How deeply they thought, uh, how well they thought, the heavy multitaskers did worse on all six of the tests. One of the tests was a test of multitasking skill itself. Heavy multitaskers did worse on the multitasking test. <laughs> Although if you ask them, they say, oh, I'm great at multitasking, I do it all the time. What really happens is that they're burning up all their mental energy, switching from one thing to another. And if they just focused for a little while on one thing, they would perform much, much better. But to me, the most interesting, most revealing of these tests was one that examined how well people are able to distinguish important information from trivia. And here, the heavy multitaskers performed much worse than the light multitaskers. And what the scientists theorize, and I think this makes complete sense, is that the more time we spend jumping from bit of information to bit of information every couple of minutes during our day, the less we worry about how important something is, and the more we're simply attracted to whatever's new. So it's the new thing that grabs our attention. For instance, if it's a nice little cat video, uh, you'll go to the cat video. Uh, you won't focus, even if you have something very important, very interesting in front of you. Um, and so that's what we've created for ourselves, is this world in which, thanks to our technology, uh, we're constantly subverting our ability to think our deepest, most profound thoughts. There is a benefit for all this time we spend online. We seem to have greater visual acuity. And by, what's meant by that is we can shift our focus more quickly among more images, more things on a screen than we were able to do before. 
But the trade-off here, what we lose in optimizing our brain for shifting our attention is what she described as mindful knowledge acquisition, creative thinking, reflective thinking, critical thinking. Now, however much we might appreciate that we've optimized our brains to shift our focus very quickly, I think most of us would agree that those things, mindful knowledge acquisition, the ability to think critically uh, and to think uh, conceptually and deeply, those are really the fundamental aspects of the highest forms of human thinking. And essentially, by becoming slaves to our technology, we've cut ourselves off more and more from those highest forms of thinking. I'd even argue that as a society, we're starting to pretend that that doesn't matter. We place all our focus on the speed with which we can gather new information. Uh, and that's always been a very important part of being intelligent, to gather new information. But it's only the first stage of using your mind in the, in the fullest way possible. The second and more important stage is actually to cut yourself off, to screen yourself from all that incoming information and consider deeply, think deeply about what you've discovered. And it's that second process, more important process, that is fading more and more away from us. And as I argue, as a society, we're kind of saying, oh, that doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is the speed of the consumption of information. So if there's the one overarching danger that I think we face as individuals and as a society in our dependency on, these, uh, on our smartphones and our computers and the web, it's that we're sacrificing our ability to determine for ourselves what our minds focus on, what we pay attention to. We're ceding that incredibly important function to the technology itself. And we know that Facebook and all these other companies are happy to take over that function for you, happy to determine what you look at. But it seems to me if we sacrifice that fundamental quality of our mind, the ability to determine for ourselves what we're going to think about and how much time we're going to spend thinking about it, then for all the gains the internet has given us, we'll be sacrificing perhaps the most important thing to that governs the depth of our thought. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Idea City on the Air. Catch Moses Neimer's Idea City Conference live every June in Toronto or on regularly scheduled radio and TV shows throughout the year. And find hundreds of talks online every day at ideacity.ca. For more information about Idea City, find us online at ideacity.ca, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or youtube.com slash ideacity. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.